This episode contains language that is not appropriate for children. Unlike every other episode where we've only discussed topics using language totally appropriate for children, except those times we talked about golden dicks. Tonight's episode is brought to you by the Catholic Church. The Catholic Church, for when you need an organization willing to call a sadistic asshole a saint. Hello, and thank you for listening to the Science Enthusiast Podcast. My name is Dan, and as always, I am joined by my good friend, Natalie. Hello, Dan, and hello, listeners. And I, I see our, our, our stage directions or whatever we want to call them here in the Google Doc uh, has changed again this week. Yeah, I'm, I'm keeping new. it keeping it interesting because I says, don't need to be told yeah. anymore. Yeah, you don't need no man. Uh, it says Natalie knows how to say hi and therefore does not need to be told by the Google dot <laughs> Google doc <laughs> teleprompter emphasis uh, belonging to me there. Uh, so, yeah, you don't need no man. Don't need no uh, I teleprompter. Don't. I, I don't. And, and I'm going to. I'm going to keep it, I'm going to just, I don't know, keep this weird in the, in the Google Doc now. I'm going to change it up every week so you have to just see something a little bit strange when you try to do this intro, yeah. which we've done. Yeah, and I will continue, times. I will, I will, in my, in the, the, the hours, literally hours of prep, I will continue to not look at the Google Doc until uh, I hit the record button here. And but I, and I will, I will have these fucking Google Docs open, like, all the time on my computer. Three days in advance. Oh, like, oh, no, these things are worked on like a week in advance. I, my whole Chrome browser is just, it's Google Docs and like Facebook and Twitter and. I'm still working on my backup laptop because HP has had my laptop for almost a month now because the the replacement parts on double secret back order or something. They can't tell me when I'm going to get it. So if I have more than like four tabs open, like shit just gets real on my end so I can't do that but one of the tabs I have open is for our stats on the podcast show and something I wanted to bring up is last month in August we had just almost 10,000 total downloads 9,961 downloads and already this is we're recording this on the 5th right now we are at 2,165 downloads for September so those numbers are just Absolutely, much better than what uh, either I think either of us uh, would have expected. Yeah, or... I mean, I think like we started just you know want to do this for fun, talk to each other, well, talk to some cool yeah, people, you and, know. And, and it's still it's still I think for us by us, and if people want to listen to us talk to one another, that's great. And I think it's it's just really neat to have that many people that uh, want to listen to us kind of ramble on at each other like this. Yeah, so like we we like you guys and girls, and so thank you. <laughs> For, for listening. Or if you're not a guy or a girl, if you're a cat or something else really cool that I don't even know about, that's great. But I think it's also a testament to just the, the people that we've had on, like Kevin Volta, David Silverman, and and, and others that uh, just take, <laughs> for, for one reason or another, uh, take, take a little bit of their time to talk to us. So definitely, you know, appreciate them and appreciate uh, all you guys listening to us here. Yeah, I, I like sitting on my basement floor and um, recording this stuff. It's it's well, a I, it's a pretty cool a, way to spend my time. I have a professional studio set up. I'm literally in my bedroom. I have a blanket going uh, across the wall here to try to absorb some sound. So it is like it is legit up in here. <laughs> so on that note, why don't you go ahead and tell us about our god of the week? Okay, so um, our god of the week comes from Norse mythology. And it's Freya, the Norse fertility goddess. So she is a kind of like feisty warrior goddess, queen of the Valkyries, which are the Viking warrior women who just rode around on horseback on the so, yeah, battlefields. And I'm, just, 
and I'm just picturing Xena Warrior Princess right now. Is ah, all I can do. Let's all right. Let's let's use her as the as the image. That totally works. So <laughs> so she she married a god as as goddesses do, I guess, named Odd. Um, I, I assume that's the pronunciation. Who bailed? Who he did bailed on her one day. So after the breakup, Freya was just really sad. So legend has it that after the breakup, she cried these big golden tears that hardened when they hit the ground, and that's how we got gold on Earth, right? That totally makes sense. Eventually, the, her and her ex saw each other again. They're like, oh, I love you, blah, blah, blah. They reconciled. But before or after or maybe during that time, she had some pretty interesting slash weird adventures. Um, somehow she gained possession of this golden amber necklace of desire. There's, I guess, an unsubstantiated story going around about her sleeping with four dwarves in order to get the necklace, but no one knows for sure. Oh, disgusting. I'm, disgusting. I mean, it was probably a cool necklace i don't know but it does it doesn't <laughs> doesn't matter because loki another character from north mythology ended up um stealing the necklace so she wasn't too bummed about the loss of her jewelry which that's good um so from that point on she just decided to i guess not sleep with dwarves for jewelry anymore um that's a common thing that everybody knows yeah don't don't sleep with dwarves to get jewelry. Here's our lesson of the day, kids. Um, and so she decided to then put all of her efforts into helping wounded warriors recover from battlefield injuries. See, she got the pick of the like wounded, but I, I don't know if it's wounded or if they were actually dead men who kind of came back to her palace um, to be taken care of. And the others went to Valhalla to, I guess, live slash unlive for eternity. But she got her pick. Not a bad deal for anybody. I mean, like, I like her. I like her style. Not well, too bad. And and for the for the gamers, uh, of course, we we all remember. I, I should say for the WoW losers, uh, that'd be World of Warcraft. She was what a what a at least for me one of the more fun bosses in in Alduar because she was in this giant room that actually had four bosses in it. And so some asshole idiot would always like accidentally pull another boss. And then all of a sudden you have like a wipe and then you do that like 10 more times and then, and then maybe get a, get a solid attempt in. But <clears throat> yeah, this is where I say like, Oh yeah, I played Mario. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you well, know, it, was, and... it, was in, it was in the, this, this room. It also had Hodir and uh, a few others in there. It was, yeah, it was a whole thing. Well, that that sounds like a thing, and I imagine <laughs> that maybe one or two of the people listening to this would know what you're talking about. Oh, so. I guarantee you! I, I, I guarantee yeah, you! Probably there's, like there's more than more than one or two. Do you think maybe a dozen? It was like Old War was uh, probably for for many people uh, one of their favorite raid instances. So, and, and admittedly, I I came in after it was the current content, so I came in on the in-game content on that expansion. So I kind of missed out on it uh, at the time. Oh, and so I you you could not be more uninterested. No, I'm no. I want I, I want to know how long you would ramble about this for, even though I, you're like sweating there and you're hot and it's terrible. But you, how long can you talk about World of Warcraft? I'm just just I, ballpark. I, I can talk me. about it. I could I could talk about in I could talk about the end of uh, Cataclysm, or I'm sorry, end of Wrath uh, and into Cataclysm, and then I took a break after after Cataclysm was done. Uh, it was just it was just a lot of work managing uh, being a GM. Uh, yeah, I mean, uh, I I took a break after Super Nintendo, so yeah, we could we could talk was, about. No, I ran. No, I, I ran. Uh, I ran it. I ran a twenty-five uh, heroic uh, guild, like heroic progression guild. Like it was actual. Like, like oh my gosh, it's uh, made me 
made me it it is what made me quit Warcraft uh, the first time because I spent way too much much time on it. But you you know like the South Park episode, right? Yeah. Yeah. Was that your life? No, no, <laughs> uh, not quite, not quite that extensive. Okay, because uh, like that's that's my one reference point. Like pretty much like Hot Pockets and Cheetos and like dudes in a basement. But no. I mean, but there were hot pockets I and Cheetos. In my mom's right? basement. Uh, hot pockets were absolutely involved. Cheetos, absolutely. Cheetos, Cheetos were always a dangerous choice because then, of course, you get the cheese on your fingers, and then you try to like manipulate your mouse, and then all of a sudden, now you got cheese gunk in your mouse, and, and it's a whole thing. I preferred, uh, you know, just like regular chips? Like potato chips, like salt, yeah. salt and vinegar chips. It's a little. I mean, you still get the still get the residue on your fingers, but it's a little. So more manageable, at least it doesn't discolor things nearly as much. <laughs> yeah. So, anyways, God yeah, of the we Week, could, Freya. We could, about, we could talk about this. You know, talk about this for like the next hour. I think. Totally I think content. we could. We should just do a, a video game episode sometime, and you and like we can have somebody come on, and you guys can like educate me about video games, and I'll sit here pretending to be interested for like an hour <laughs> while you talk about it. Does that sound awesome? You know, people would listen to that too. <laughs> people like video games. Tonight, we are excited to be joined by Andrew Seidel. Andrew is a constitutional and civil rights attorney, activist, atheist, author, former Grand Canyon tour guide, and sometimes photographer. At the Freedom From Religion Foundation, Andrew works to ensure that the government obeys the First Amendment and that Jefferson's wall of separation between state and church remains tall and impregnable. So, um, Andrew, thank you so much for joining us. No, it's my pleasure. Thank you for having me on. So, um, as I was, like, starting to outline this episode and think of questions for you it the thought came to me like the fact that we're going to have this conversation about separation of church and state in 2016 like (laughs) i mean isn't like isn't that in itself a little bit crazy a little bit i think but you know it's job security for me which is yes so congratulations (laughs) you you absolutely have a lot of work to do um and it's it's good for me actually because i really do i i love my job. I really yeah. enjoy it. You know, it's, it's rare for an attorney to be so in love with what they do. You know, I get to get up every morning and I go fight for the first amendment. How many attorneys get to say that? Um, I was in private practice for a very short while and I, it was nowhere near as fun. Um, it, but I think, I think you are right. I think it is a little sad that we're still fighting to keep our government free from religion. Yeah. You know, it, it should not be necessary. And, uh, when, we succeed, I'll put myself out of a job and that's fine. <laughs> and so how, how did you become involved in this like atheist, secular activism, you know, coupled with your legal expertise? Well, so I, I grew up in pretty much a secular household. My mom encouraged me to go uh, to a temple with my Jewish friends, to different churches with my different Christian friends. And it became very obvious to me early on that these different ideologies had mutually exclusive truth claims. And you know, this isn't this isn't the twelve-year-old me saying this. This is the looking back. But it became very obvious that they were all not right, and the most obvious answer was that they were all wrong, and that there was, they were, there is no God, and it's okay to be an atheist. Um, and I didn't really start calling myself that till I was in law school. And actually, I was um, driving around Iceland, um, and my girlfriend at the time was was reading The God Delusion in Shotgun, and she's like, "You're gonna love this book. You got to read it. It's really." it's right up your alley. And she was saying 
reading passages that, from the Dawkins book and I'm playing devil's advocate and I'm rebutting them. And she's like, no, no, no. He addressed that here. He addressed that here. And that co kind of coincided with me really getting involved with and learning about and immersed in constitutional law because I was in law school. So those two things actually really coincided. I decided to become out and open about my atheism and, you know, start battling with religion right as I was learning about the Constitution and the First Amendment. Uh, and the more I read about these religious encroachments into our government and how they're they're harming it and how they're they're harming our society, the more upset I got and the more I wanted to do something about it. And that was kind of what led me down the path. And so did that eventually bring you to the Freedom from Religion Foundation? It did. Uh, so I decided that this was the work that I wanted to do. And then I went out and looked for the groups that do this work. And there are not many of us. Uh, the ACLU does this work, but there's it's a very, very small part of what they do. Um, all the other work they do is fantastic too. But, uh, you know, the state church separation is a very small part. Um, Americans United for the Separation of State and Church does it. American Atheists to a certain extent, American Humanist Association and the Center for Inquiry, and then the Freedom from Religion Foundation. And that's about it. Mm -hmm. Those are really the main groups out there that are working for this. And I had sort of looked at all of them. And, you know, the other piece that of this that's really important to me is educating about non-religion. And that's FFRF's second goal. So FFRF works to educate the public about what it is to be non-religious, to be an atheist in this country, and to promote the separation of state and church. And those, for me, were the two most important things. Um, so I basically stalked FFRF. And then uh, <laughs> <laughs> I wrote Dan and Annie Laurie. Uh, I had met Dan a couple times. I entered their essay contest. Um, I got second place in their graduate student essay contest. And then um, eventually convinced them to hire me and uh, started their... In, on Halloween in 2011. So I've been there for five years now. That's awesome. I mean, I, I think it's important for people to know that there are organizations like w actually working for this. Um, and it's, I'm, and I'm glad that you kind of pointed out too, that there aren't that many of you guys. There aren't, you know, I, I know all the attorneys who do this work. There are like yeah. 15 of us. <laughs> you know, there, are very, there are very few of us and we're battling organizations that have they're the anti-FFRF, you know, they're the anti-Americans United and they have budgets that are 10 and 20 times bigger than ours, each of them. And they have, you know, 10, sometimes in some cases, you know, a hundred times the lawyers that we do. Um, so it's like a David and Goliath story, but like the non-biblical version. <laughs> it <laughs> is like that. Yeah. And, and we're David and we're also like David, we're winning. Um, yeah. So it's, it's, uh, it's an uphill battle too, but we... Actually, you know, I, what, I really, what I really feel like is I feel like the guy at the whack-a-mole station. Mm -hmm. Yeah, um, that's that's really what it is. You know, we got at FFRF, we got 5000 state church complaints last year and there are five full time attorneys. Wow. So you can do the math on it. And not all yeah. those were legitimate violations that we yeah. pursue. Right. Some of them, you know, we can't. Uh, some of them, the people are mistaken on, on what's going on. Um, but it's it's a it's a huge, huge job. And it's it's a lot of work, but it's a really fun job. And. I, you know, the people we work with are just fantastic. These are all really bright, brilliant and talented lawyers uh, who get excited to be defending the First Amendment. And do you have any recent, um, like, I would call them, I guess, victories that you've seen happen um, on some of these cases lately? Sure. So, I mean, the victories roll in all the time. So the way that FFRF works is people make these complaints to us and they can do it right through their webs, right through our website. And the people remain anonymous. So let's say, for instance, um, 
your kid listener out there comes home from school and says, my teacher told us we had to pray before lunch today. Uh, you can go onto the FFRF website, click on the legal tab and click on report a state church violation and you fill it out with all the information we need. And we will write to the school without divulging any of your information and explain what happened and why that was a violation and ask them to stop it. And oftentimes that's all it takes. Most yeah. of the time mm -hmm. we're able to stop the violations just like that. Sometimes the schools don't listen to us. Sometimes <laughs> they ignore us or they think their, their interpretation of the law is correct. Uh, and in those cases, we end up having to sue. Um, you know, one of the more memorable lawsuits where a school was just so unbelievably wrong but decided they had to, had to stick it out was they had a portrait of Jesus on the wall. Obviously, a white Jesus, you know, blonde hair. Of course. Blonde. That's what he right. looked like. Yeah, that's, that's what he looked like. Absolutely what he looked like. Everybody from the Middle East was white, yes. <laughs> yeah. And, and they stood by this. They, and it was, you know, 300 people showed up at their, their school board meeting to protest and to say, we got to fight these out-of-state atheists. And, um, you know, of course, they ended up losing and they ended up having to pay $95,000 that came out of the school budget, which we don't want. You know, I don't want to be taking money out of public schools. That's the last thing I want. Right. Mm -hmm. But we we have to do it. Yeah. You know, if, if you're not willing to work with us, which is what we prefer, then, yeah, we're going to have to take you to court. So the point of all that is to say that victories come in all the time. You know, we probably get two, three, four, ten victories every week that we're stopping without having to go to court. Um, and then, yeah, the court the court victories roll in pretty regularly as well. Yeah. And do you, do you ever find that there are just some that you think are obviously like, here's a violation. We should absolutely win this. And then something happens where you're just like, how, how did we lose? Sure. I mean, so first of all, I think people need to realize that, and maybe they know this if they're listening to your show is that our position is politically very unpopular. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, you know, a, a great example of a case that, that should be very easy for everybody to recognize as a violation that went the wrong way is um, in Montana, on National Forest land, the Catholic charity set up a shrine on Big Mountain. It's this huge, like 10 foot tall Jesus. And they erected this statue. Which was that life size? <laughs> it was bigger than life size. And they call it a shrine. You know, so this is a, a, a Catholic erected shrine on public land. That's that's very clearly a violation. There's no way around right, it. Right. Like, and if they're just kind of open about it, like, yeah, that's just what it is. And yeah, that, that's it. Okay. That's that's what it is. And, yeah. and, you know, and courts can find a way to decide against you when you are politically unpopular. And that's what happened in this case. And one of the ways that courts often do that is they raise something called standing. Um, and they say that basically you FFRF and FFRS plaintiffs, you don't have enough of an interest in this case to be able to litigate it. Therefore, you don't have standing. Therefore, you don't get to sue. It's it's a jurisdictional question. Basically, the court's saying like, you, you can't do this. And that's actually the way they've challenges to the entire faith-based office um, that's run out of the White House uh, that W started and, and President Obama has unfortunately decided to continue. Um, so those actually, FFRF challenged a bunch of those successfully in court before the courts finally said, you know what, nobody has standing to challenge any faith-based spending out of the White House. So it's a really frustrating position to be in when you know it's very clearly a constitutional violation, but the courts have set up this sort of legal fiction to keep you out. That's one of the most frustrating things about this, this practice area. Yeah. 
Well, it's, it just seems like at this point, religion and politics and all of it just go hand in hand way more than they should. And different decisions come out sometimes like um, the one recently with Hobby Lobby, right? Um, sure. Can you, can you talk, can you talk about Hobby Lobby? And I, I think we can probably end up bringing in the Religious <laughs> Freedom Restoration Act and all of that yeah. amazing, terrible stuff. Um, it, yeah. It, it really is both amazing and terrible. It's like, um, yeah. So, so the Hobby Lobby decision based on the Religious Freedom Restoration Act. So that's the first thing I think everybody needs to stand, yeah. understand about it. This isn't technically a First Amendment case. So when the Supreme Court decided it, they just decided it on this statute that was passed back in 1993. Yeah, I was going to say, yeah. Yeah, so it's the, it's the Religious Freedom Restoration Act. And what it essentially does, without getting into all the annoying legalese, is it allows people, if you have a sincerely held religious belief, to exempt yourself from certain laws and regulations. Um, and can I, can I ask you one question about sure. that? Um, what does sincerely held religious belief mean? Like, how is that measured? <laughs> like, you know, you've, you've hit an interesting point there, Natalie. So, okay. Okay. <laughs> so in the Hobby Lobby case, the court didn't examine it. The government didn't challenge the sincerity of Hobby Lobby's beliefs and the court didn't actually examine it. And the interesting thing about it is it probably should have been examined. Uh, for one thing, the, the company, Hobby Lobby, used to provide the same coverage that it claimed violated its religious freedom a few years before uh, mm -hmm. to all its employees. So it had already been doing this before the federal government passed a law saying you have to do this. Hobby Lobby had been doing it and they stopped doing it and then challenged that that HHS mandate. Okay, So, so it, it looks a little insincere from that point. And then also... Um, and I can't remember the numbers on this, but the number that's coming in my head is 70, 78 million, but that would have to be checked. Um, but Hobby Lobby's retirement funds, a ton of it was invested in the companies that were producing right. the drugs they were complaining about. Which, right, yeah. Which also kind of goes to the sincerity. But so to answer your question more generally, how do courts look at the sincerity? Most of the time they don't. The, okay. the times when they do, it usually involves prisoners. And they usually say that prisoners don't have a sincere religious belief and therefore you don't get the accommodation that you want. And um, how can they, how, like what, like what, in what kind of respect, like are they, is, is that like some sort of like weird request that they're making or? Uh, it, yeah, it could be. It's, so it's usually um, a good example would be um, say a prisoner who decides that they're kosher and wants kosher food. That's not that uncommon. Um, okay. The court might look and say, like, look, you told your cellmate that you wanted better food, and then you told everybody else you were kosher, and so that's not a sincerely held religious belief. That that might be an example, a complete one that I made up off the top of my head. Sure. Um, but I think it's something that courts ought to be looking into a little bit more. Um, generally, I would say this is something we don't want courts to be looking into at all. You don't want courts to be examining the sincerity of someone's religious right. beliefs. But they've passed this awful, awful law that allows your individual religion to trump every other law out there. And that is a, an enormous, enormous problem. Right, because then here, here we are with a huge company being able to make a decision for their employees – and Based it's, it's, on this. It's not, yeah, it's not making a decision for them. It's imposing yes. the, the, their religion on these employees. And it's – I mean there's there's so much that's wrong with it. Um, 
and I when I really get on a soapbox when we start talking about Hobby Lobby. So I mean, here here's another just fun little side one. There's a, there's this theory in in corporate law called the corporate veil, and what that means is that when you set up a corporation, you as you know the people who set it up, say the yeah. green the green family who set it up, you are shielded by that corporate veil. If somebody were to sue the company, you know you can't be held personally liable for something the company did. That way, you know you don't go bankrupt. Um, that's called the corporate veil. Now, there in certain cases, um, the corporate veil can be pierced, but it's it's pretty rare. But now, what the courts have done is say that that corporate veil is basically one way. So the company owners can shove their religious beliefs through that veil, and nothing can come back the other direction. So they're taking advantage of all the protections and then using it to impose their religion on their employees as well. It's very, very frustrating. Well, it's because, that's, that's because corporations are people, of course. And yes, corporations are people that can have religious beliefs, which is just, just amazing. <laughs> um, and, and, you know, you guys are a science podcast. So I think the thing that might interest your listeners the most is that when we're talking about the people's religious beliefs, it, it doesn't matter if they're reality based or not. So this is one of the most frustrating things for me about RIFRA is it's taking beliefs that are manifestly based on faith, i.e. they're not factual, they're not based in reality or on fact. They're completely – we cannot prove that any of this is real. Exactly. Nothing. Exactly. Nothing. And they're, they're elevating them above the law. So it's a huge problem. But they're also – in one case, it's, it's worse because they're allowing ones that – beliefs that we know are wrong – that we can factually and scientifically prove are wrong to trump the law. So uh, this is a quote from the Hobby Lobby decision that, that just it, it blows my mind. And it's, it's one of the, the scariest things about it. So it says, the court said, the owners of the businesses have religious objections to abortion. And according to their religious beliefs, the four contraceptive methods at issue are abortifacients, meaning they cause abortion. Okay. Mm -hmm. If the owners comply with this mandate, they believe they will be facilitating abortions. So did you catch that? It says, according to their religious beliefs, yep. the four contraceptive methods are, and that's not true. We know, right. we know that's not true. And the saddest thing about this is that there were, um, I can't remember the number, something like 20, maybe as many as 50 physicians groups, um, you know, the American College of Obstetricians and Gynecologists Association of Reproductive Health Professionals, all these different groups wrote the Supreme Court and said, this is factually wrong. They're, they're, that may be their belief, but it's factually wrong. And the court said, doesn't matter. That's what they believe. Therefore, they can be exempt from it, which is so, just terrifying. That's, that's such, that's that's such a slippery slope. It's, it's a very, very slippery slope. Well, to just say pretty much facts don't matter if you have faith. Exactly. And to me, that is just that is just mind blowing. And it's also the Ken Ham story. <laughs> it, but it but it is it's because that there because I and I know we've we've mentioned, Andrew, that you you have some feelings about the Ark Park because like because <laughs> there because right there, it's like taxpayer funded pseudoscience. And yeah. we're just we're living in this like, you know, fa like fairy tale. Yeah, and I think pseudoscience is even too too kind yeah. on that. You know, oh, I know. Yeah, yeah. It's just, total bullshit. Yeah, um, that's better. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's better. Well, and, and when, when I actually went, and when I went, uh, it, it, they didn't even have it completely done. So, but they were still charging full price. I was a little, I was all put off by that. and didn't get to go on the top deck of the ark. That, that's that's shocking that they would <laughs> right that they'll still take your money. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, and yeah, so like, I mean, yeah, how could that happen? Them being able to just use taxpayer money 
Well, the good news is, and it, I, hopefully people are feeling enraged and just completely can't understand what's going on right now with, the, with this. But the good news is, is that this is just a law that Congress mm -hmm. passed. So the only thing that has to happen is we get them to overturn the law, which <laughs> is a lot, but it could be done. You know, if RIFRA is repealed, this Hobby Lobby decision disappears. It completely goes away. It does not exist anymore. Um, so, and just for people's reference, FFRF, we argued that the law itself was unconstitutional in the Hobby Lobby case. We were, you know, there was something like 80 briefs submitted and we were the only one that argued it was unconstitutional. I still stand by that. I absolutely think the law is unconstitutional, but what are you going to do? Well, and so, and so what, what are the steps that it would take to get this repealed? Well, How so, does that work? So, I mean, it just, all it would take is uh, the simple majority of Congress to agree to get rid of the law. Uh, right now, there is a law proposed called the Do No Harm Act, mm -hmm. which would amend RIFRA in certain ways. So right now, as RIFRA is written, it says that it applies to every statute. Period. It's it's just it, it's referred to as a super statute, um, which really makes it more like a constitutional amendment, since it cuts across every other statute. That's a, it's very no other law has been written like that. Um, so what the Do No Harm Act does is it refuses to apply RIFRA to things like um, discrimination laws, like the Civil Rights Act. So it would prevent people from using RIFRA to discriminate on the basis of race or things like that, which is one thing that we were hugely, hugely worried about in the wake of the Hobby Lobby decision. And that worry is now coming home to roost, sadly. No, it's, it's like just amazing to hear about this because I mean, it's, if you have the government and all these politicians who are there as, you know, representatives of the government, the state, and this with religion overriding basic science or medicine or facts, um, it just seems crazy that they would allow that to continue to happen when it, we're supposed to have this separation. It does seem crazy. And, and it really, it really, really is. And that's another aspect of the law that we think is unconstitutional. I mean, it, what it clearly does is it clearly favors religion over non-religion in a way mm -hmm. that's just, it's, it's very, very disturbing. And the, I mean, the other aspect of this, and the Supreme Court actually talked about this back in 1878, they, they said that if you were to allow anybody who has a personal religious belief to exempt themselves from the law based on that religious belief. They said that you'd be inviting anarchy, that law can only exist in name under such circumstances. I mean, really there's no limit to how this can be applied. And you're starting to see the religious right take that Hobby Lobby case and apply it everywhere they can. Uh, you know, just recently in Michigan, a federal court allowed a religious employer to discriminate against a transgender employee because the Bible teaches that God created us man and male and female. And so the, the court allowed the employer to fire the transgender employee uh, because if that transgender employee was denying their sex that God gave him or her at work, that would be violating God's law. So well, God, God's I've, law is better than man's law. That's, that's basically what it says. Yeah. I know I, I, I live in Indiana and I, I know here, or at least I'm un, un, under the understanding that here you can, you can still be fired from your employer for sexual orientation or, or, you know, what, what have you, there's no protection for that here in Indiana. How many, do you know how many States 
uh, just offhand, like how many states that uh, you know you where you actually can be fired for or or otherwise discriminated for for that very reason? Well, I know that there are, um, and I don't remember know the exact count, but I think it's about twenty states that have passed state RIFRAs now. So you know the Religious Freedom Restoration Act that we've been talking about is this federal law that cuts across all federal laws. And when mm-hmm. they initially passed it, they said that it also applies to every state law too. Um, the Supreme Court actually curbed that part of it in a in a case called the city city of Bernie. Uh, but what states have done in response is go around and pass their own state laws saying that the, this religious freedom applies to all their own. And what we're really seeing is the radical redefinition of the phrase religious freedom. So religious freedom used to very clearly mean that I as an individual am able to believe and worship in the way that I choose, so long as it doesn't impact anybody else. And it's being redefined now to mean that I can act out my beliefs, whether or not they impact you. Mm -hmm. And often, preferably, if they do impact you, it allows people now to impose their religion on others. And it's very clearly not what the founders had in mind when they passed the First Amendment. Right. And we can, I mean, and I think an example, like, I guess not a domestic example would be, you know, what I saw you posted earlier today about uh, what's happening in France with the, the, I can't believe I'm going to say this word, burkini. Am I saying that correctly? (laughs) I I never, that's that's, that's a a word I never knew existed until like two days ago. Um, But like what's happening there where they, you know, women are, you know, and, and I agree wholeheartedly with, with you that, uh, you know, the, the entire practice is, is silly and there's no need for that to exist, but it's actually being legislated in just, just a few cities from what I understand, uh, that they're not allowed to wear these burkinis, these basically just a swimsuit that covers, you know, you know, all, like all a wetsuit almost. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, kind pretty of, much. Like, covers yeah. Like a wetsuit with a, with a scarf or, or what have you. Uh, but yeah, like I just, I just, I just don't understand. Like that, that's like, just like you said, it's not that. That's not how we go about creating change, and that's not how uh, you know legislation is not how we are go, are going to going to going to change the hearts and minds of of people who who have those beliefs. No, absolutely not. I mean, at, at its most basic, religion is a set of ideas, a set of very bad ideas. And you cannot defeat an idea by banning it. It's not, it's just it's not possible. It's been tried throughout human history, and it's never ever worked. Because it's uh, it's only going it's going to, going to make the people that that believe that it, more empowered to believe that because that's there. It's like a self fulfilling prophecy to them almost, where they're they're told they're being discriminated against, and now they actually are being discriminated against. So that's just that's just reinforcing the idea to them. Exactly. You you defeat bad ideas with discourse and better ideas, and that's actually what the First Amendment is really all about. If you if you really look deeply at it, so it says that Congress shall make no law respecting an establishment of religion or prohibiting the free exercise thereof, or abridging the freedom of the speech or of the press or of the right of the people to peaceably assemble and petition their government for a redress of grievances. So it protects, depending on who you talk to, five or six rights. And if you look at all of them, you have secular government, free exercise of religion, press, speech, assembly, petition your government. All these are about freedom of thought and then communicating those thoughts between each other. And that's the way the founders wanted us to deal with bad ideas, like women are forced to cover themselves up. You know, you you defeat those bad ideas with discourse and with better ideas, not with with banning them. 
we are in the midst of presidential election season with, well, Dan's home state man, Mike Pence, and, you know, like all these people who are obviously conflating issues of, of church and state and bringing religion into things like women's rights and everything. I mean, are there any, like, obviously there's many issues, but are there any particular issues of church and state that are of concern to you at like extra concern during our election season? Yeah, I think there's one and it's, it's come up a few times. Um, and, and first I should say that, and this is actually perfect because it's, it's where I'm going with this, that FFRF is a nonpartisan nonprofit. Uh, we're a 501c3. So under the law, as part of our tax exemption, we are not allowed to engage in partisan politics. We can't endorse candidates. We can't say one candidate, it would be better than the other. We can talk about the issues, which is yeah. what I'm about to do, but we can't do any endorsing. Um, and that's actually, that itself has become an issue in the campaign. So one of the things that the Republican nominee has said is that he would overturn the Johnson Amendment. Mm-hmm. And what the Johnson Amendment does is exactly what I just said. It prevents 501c3s, including churches, from endorsing political candidates. Yes. And that would be a really big issue for us. Um, so first of all, FFRF has sued the IRS for refusing to force this, we call it the electioneering uh, ban on churches. So basically, if you are, let's say you're a preacher, you cannot get up in the pulpit and say, you should vote for X, and then turn around and claim a tax exemption. Under our set of rules, we've decided that tax exemption is a privilege. And if you want to gain that privilege, you have to give up certain rights. And that includes the right to speak on absolutely everything you would like to. Um, Now, if if the pastor really, really wants to do that and he really wants to endorse a political candidate, he can. He just doesn't get to be tax exempt and do that at the same time. And he can't do it in his official capacity. So if he was at around the dinner table, you know, on his own talking amongst friends, he can say, yeah, I'm voting for so and so. And there's no problem. He just can't do it as the pastor of the church, you know, from the pulpit. Um, so it's a pretty clear rule. It's a pretty easy rule to follow. But churches for years have been disobeying it deliberately in something called Pulpit Freedom Sunday. <laughs> and these churches, these churches get together and they tape their sermons where they endorse these political candidates, and then they mail the tapes to the IRS. Actually, and, it um, isn't is I, I I and this may maybe maybe something that I misheard or was just made up. But isn't isn't it something where they uh, there's just there's one word in the in the law that they're like Congress is still like debating or like has open that like they the just the wording uh, of of the the portion of it of the bill is is not is quote unquote disputed. And so that's why they can't enforce that. No, they decided they weren't going to enforce it because it would be kind of a little too difficult. And they were looking at their limited resources. They actually, actually what they did was um, to avoid it being Congress, Congress sort of stepped in uh, and well, this is a little bit of conjecture, but let me me be less, less conspiratorial. (laughs) The, The IRS did not put anybody in the position that normally enforces that law. So there was no employee of the IRS who was able to enforce that law against churches. Gotcha. So when, when so those churches, positions just does not exist to actually investigate that. It did not exist. Um, when we found out about that FFRF sued, uh, and we actually ended up settling that case, um, I want to say maybe a year, maybe a year and a half ago. Um, and as part of the settlement, they agreed to hire somebody and they agreed to start investigating these issues. And hopefully we'll see something soon where they're actually enforcing it against one of these bad churches. 
Um, well, and you, you just said bad churches, so it kind of made me think about <laughs> um, it. Made me think about that um, story that's just kind of out buzzing on the internet today about um, religious charities. One in particular that um, refused to take a donation from an atheist organization. Is that? a decent summary so far. Um, I think that, I think that's a perfect summary. And I think, I mean, you can get, excuse me, it's even, it's even worse because this charity is, uh, as I understand it, it's a charity that works to help give homeless children a shelter. Okay. So this is, this is the kind of charity that we want to be supporting as communities that we really want to, to help. And a local atheist group in Muskogee, Oklahoma sent a hundred dollar donation in under the name of, you know, I think it's the Muskogee atheist community, I want to say. Mm-hmm. And yeah, the, the charity came back and said, uh, we are a Baptist run charity and to, to accept your donation, um, would basically go against everything we believe in, which is really, really weird because as a charity yeah. working to help homeless children, you would think that would be what you believe in. But you know, I, I mean, I've I've always been very suspect of religious charities, um, particularly those that that take government money, because their their primary goal is has never been to to help people. I'm sure maybe maybe there are some. Maybe that's painting with too broad a brush. Maybe there are some who that's their primary goal. But I think when you come down to it, and when you get into situations like this where they're forced to choose between being able to promote their religion versus being able to help people, they're going to choose being able to promote their religion first every single time and helping people second. And I think that's one of the reasons that you see them focusing on vulnerable populations. Um, they are the people that need help, but they're also the people that are most likely to convert, which is, is a sad and perhaps cynical way of looking at the world, but I do this for a living and I've seen it. So that's, it, it just makes sense because you're, it's somebody that is, seems like they're trying to help you out and, may, and, may, and maybe they are for, for a lot of people, but they're doing it with the motivation of, okay, well now we, we, we did X for you. So now, you know, you know, maybe, maybe show up on, on Sunday and. And, and it's, this is not the first time we've seen anything like this. You know, one, one, of, one of the best examples of this I think was uh, happened in Illinois when the, the state passed a rule saying that, adoption agencies within the state had to adopt out to same-sex couples. And rather than continuing to give childless, excuse me, homeless children a loving family, the Catholic adoption services shut down across the state. So they, they refused to continue with their job. So, you know, they, I, who knows how many they, hundreds of kids they had placed throughout the years, but once they had to give it to gay couples, they just, they shut their whole thing down because it wasn't about helping those kids. It was about being able to do their religion first and foremost. That's the thing that mattered to them. And that's just, to me, um, it speaks volumes about, about yeah, exactly. That it's, it's completely contradictory to what they what they pretend to believe in, what they pretend to preach. And well, what and we, what hear, what we hear all yeah. the time. And like what, and the thing that was interesting, like kind of what happened today with you know all the, this news being out there of this you know Christian organization refusing to take money. Well, then what? Like fifteen thousand dollars was kind of raised by <laughs> lots of probably secularists and atheists. Um, coming together to just be like, we want to give to people 
I mean, yeah, so- I, it, that seems like a ridiculous thing to have to like put out there, but um, yeah, the here's the Christian organization like that's supposed to be helping people saying, we don't want your money. And then all like this mass of people coming together. To yeah. Raise. I mean, it was, it was a really great moment for atheists to unite. And I mean, basically what the Muskogee atheist community said was they said, look, what we'd like to do is raise like a couple hundred bucks. And we don't think they'll, they'll reject a couple hundred bucks. And they ended up when I last checked, it was almost $18,000 they had raised. Oh, wow. That's uh, like $3,000 in the last hour since I last checked. Yeah. Of, it's it's, like been, whatever. it's yeah. been really impressive. And my understanding, um, the latest update I saw from the community was that um, if the, the charity, quote unquote, didn't accept it by a certain time, all of the money raised was going to go to Camp Quest, which is just a wonderful organization for secular kids to learn about science. And it's just, it's, it's, it's an excellent alternative if this religious group continues to spurn the kindness and charity of atheists. And you know, there, I mean, there are just hundreds of examples of this. There are times when, when atheist groups have gone to go help out at, um, you know, soup kitchens and uh, on Thanksgiving and help, you know, pass out food and things like that. And the churches have said, nope, we don't need your kind here. Um, And one of the things that I'm most proud of at FFRF is we actually worked with the city of Madison. uh, And I spent a lot of time testifying at local meetings about some of the discrimination and some of the backlash atheist space like this. Um, And we actually got the city to pass non-religion as a protected class in housing and employment and a couple other areas. So, um, it, that was just a really, a really nice victory, uh, that, that we had in a, a high, high point in my career. Well, and, and you would think that if, if they are truly, you know, what, whatever Christian values are, you know, we can put a pin in that and talk about that later. But if you, if they really embrace like Christian values, they, they would want help no matter where it's coming from, no matter who it's coming from, if somebody's willing to help. They would be happy to do that, and and but also they would take that as an opportunity to to even engage those people who who do dissent, in and have have an honest conversation with them, or or present the opportunity to have a conversation with them to to talk about you know why that person you know doesn't have the same views as they do. I think I agree with with almost all that, except calling those those Christian values for the most part. I, I think, and I think. <laughs> well, I, is... I mean, I, mean I, I used air quotes. You can't see that on. <laughs> okay. the, on the... Well, <laughs> but I think it's a mistake that we that we often make that atheists often make. You know, we say, "Well, that's not very Jesus-like when somebody does something mean," um, or you know, "That's not very Christian of you um, when they they reject people's help." But I I think that that is very Jesus-like and that is very Christian. I think that, I think they are acting uh, the way Christians would or Jesus would. I mean, you know, Jesus said he came to divide families. If you don't follow him. You know, you're not worthy. And if you love your family, your father, your son, your daughter more than you love him, you know, you're not worthy of of heaven. And I I think so. I think that sort of the only thing that matters is being Christian. Nothing else matters. Attitude uh, is what it means to be a Christian. And so and and so you you have a book coming out called On American. And I when I was looking, you know, reading a little bit on your website, one thing that stuck out to me was where it said Christianity is un-American. So can we just, because like we want to have you back on when the book comes out to, you know, go more in depth, like once we've read it, but can you get, give us a little tease about your book? Yeah, I would love to. So um, there's no date yet for it to be released. Hopefully that's coming very soon. People can check my Twitter and Facebook for it, for that as it comes along. Um, But basically the idea behind the book is I I think you've, 
all probably heard the idea that we're a Christian nation. And, and I think most people in the secular community can sort of refute that idea. Um, you know, maybe they cite the Treaty of Tripoli uh, or various things. But the fallback position is always, well, I didn't mean that we're a Christian nation. What I meant is that we're founded on Judeo-Christian principles, Judeo-Christian <laughs> values. And that idea never really gets challenged. And so what I did was I actually took those values and those principles, those Christian principles, and I looked at them and I compared them to the founding principles of this nation. And I think when you make that comparison, they are so fundamentally opposed to each other that it is fair to say that Christianity is un-American. And so that's kind of what the book does. I walk through all of the Ten Commandments um, and look at each of those and how they would stack up to the founding, and it turns out almost all of them would be unconstitutional. Um, I look at a lot of the central principles of the Bible, the idea of hell, um, the idea of that Jesus sacrificed himself for your sins, you know, vicarious redemption through human sacrifice, things like that. Um, and then I sort of end with... Um, I call it argument by idiom. So things like in God we trust, one nation under God, things like that. And I also obviously talk a lot about the founding fathers and what they may or may not have believed. And mostly I think that's actually irrelevant, which is a, yeah. a new take on that. So I'm excited about it. Well, yeah, I know it, it sounds like it's you know going to be something that our audience will enjoy and that I am excited to read. So I, we definitely want to have you back to, yeah, to talk about that when it comes out. I'd um, love to. So obviously I imagine that people who are listening will want to know where they can like find you on the internet. Um, so can you like where, if people want to just kind of follow your, your work and hear what you're up to, um, where can they do that? Uh, so I'm on Facebook and Twitter, Andrew L. Seidel, S-E-I-D-E-L on Facebook and Twitter. I also have andrewlseidel.com. Uh, I'm mostly active on Facebook and Twitter. I am on Instagram too. I only joined social media. I joined Facebook a year ago yesterday. If you figure out Instagram or like the point of it or anything, let me know. Same with Twitter. Like I don't, I don't understand how to use either of those. Okay, and... I did not understand Twitter either, and I would have been with you until I joined, and now I'm like addicted to it. See, I, me too. I like, I love, I. Well, that's how like I, you know, was able to connect with you to set this up. Like, I Twitter's now where I feel like I get the most of my my news. And me too, I, and you find it out 24 yeah. hours before anywhere else. Yeah, and I like, I feel like even just preparing for these shows and stuff that that Twitter is is my like library I just have it open on my computer and I'm just refreshing Twitter and like see maybe I, I don't know who to follow you have, or you have like, to follow, follow the right people man yeah That's that must it. be I, it because yeah. I I don't I don't ever I don't even look at my Twitter account unless like my phone like says somebody's like ranting at me and, I, and I'm like half the time I can't even understand what the person's trying to say in the first place so I just ignore it I actually initially joined it because somebody told me the Pope was on there and I was like you know what if I control the Pope <laughs> I, will, I will join Twitter and like, I, do. I want I have, this social media thing every time every time he tweets I, I, I have what I call fortune cookie Pope and so I just add in bed to his tweets <laughs> and they're often very unfortunate sounding when you do that um, you With know the Pope. yeah we we need to extend the utmost love to children and then you add in bed to that and it's just yeah that's the catholic church in a nutshell isn't it there, there you go and on that note thank you so much for, do, for um for doing this with us and um we will like definitely hear more from you hopefully on this show um when the book comes out yeah it was my pleasure thank you so much for having me on i really appreciate it happy to come back anytime awesome thank you thank you bye guys
So this week, the reason we love the internet is the Twitter account, Bad Realty Photos. And they're real bad. Like, they're... like really bad. I mean, there's there's <laughs> one that it's a it's a bathroom, but it has like a, a printer just on the floor. Like a, you know, like there's a toilet, some toilet paper, and then a printer. Like, because yeah, that's, that's where you deal with documents. It is. Totally. In the bathroom. Um, let's see. I'm just... So this t- yeah. In just the backstory, it is, uh, I mean, by their own description, it says, a celebration of low standards and a lack of attention to details. <laughs> and that is that is exactly what it is. These are pictures people, uh, at least I assume all of them, uh, ha- that have been posted on Realty websites that are just not the greatest representation i have to assume or maybe it is i don't yeah, know but i'm assuming it's not the greatest representation of the houses that they are trying to sell such as the the person who is asleep <laughs> on this bed like object just right just, i mean the the i i will say though i i enjoy the pattern on the wood floor uh, that's something I'm I'm looking to buy a house right now. So wood floors are definitely something that I'm I'm looking at. Um, I would pass on the person though. Would it Would it appeal to you? I'm looking at another one to have like a big like TV cabinet with a TV in it, and then two armchairs with TVs also on the armchairs because. Why not have three old school style televisions? I can tell you exactly why room. they have three televisions all in one room because, you, like, it's Sunday, you want to watch football, but you want to watch more than just one game. Oh, well, that makes sense. I mean, I, I guess, though, looking at these pictures, it's like, I think that these are people who don't actually want to sell their houses. They're just like, oh, let, let's say we tried, but they real, they're committed and they want to live <laughs> in these places. So let's make them just or, look as ugly as fuck as possible. There's one that says, it's like, spot the toilet. Do you see this one? Where, like, the toilet has the same pattern as, like, the wallpaper or something? And it's like, oh no, I was I was looking at the one that has a toilet in what appears to be a living room, but it is decidedly a bathroom. But it <laughs> definitely looks like a living room. And I say that because we have a like a toilet, but then we have like a like rug, like not like a bathroom, like a like Oriental style rug with like a stuffed <laughs> like cushiony like I'm I'm gonna relax and read a book chair. Yeah. So that's a thing. Uh, the one I was just looking at though was. It, it's, it looks like it looks like an, an older Ken Ham standing in, oh, alone yeah. in his kitchen with the lights off, except for something on the table. I, I can't figure out what that is on the table uh, next to the rice cooker that he has. And it's just it's a very dimly lit picture, like a, like he's trying to do a selfie. But uh, it just it's like not... a total old person attempt at a selfie. Like, yeah, got like the top of the head, but just fucking like failed yeah. the rest of it. Which is what, which is what I have to think Ken Ham would do if he were to take a selfie. Ken Ham definitely can't take a selfie, but like he, it would be like but, almost cute that he was trying, but so bad because he's kind of terrible. So kind of like an arc. So um, there's there's this... this one though says later this afternoon George will be filming you without your knowledge or consent. <laughs> Well, and then as far as like another one with a creepy person, there's one, it's like the, it's the exterior of the house yet. um, So the caption is father Christmas tried again in April only to find they still hadn't fitted a chimney because there's a person just standing on the roof. Like it looks like a horror movie because it's just a dark figure 
Like, you can't see a face. Just It's a person, obviously, on the roof. But, like, does that person come with the house? Is it some kind of, like, I don't know, living gargoyle? It's, it's, a, it's a cry that, for that, help. <laughs> somebody is crying for help. Um, but that is, that is not going to sell a house. And then the one um, below it is just a room that's empty except for, like, seven <laughs> fire extinguishers in a corner. So uh, fireproof. And, and- and so before we close this segment, uh, I guess they do have a website here. It's terriblerealestateagentphotos.com. So we will we will definitely link to that in the show notes. Yeah. So um, this one I, I found hilarious. And I so it appeared somebody retweeted something, I think, on my Twitter timeline the other day. And and yeah, I just sat there laughing. Um, yeah, I I have I have no poker face when it comes to things I find funny on the Internet. It doesn't matter where I am. I just embarrass myself. Oh, but I guess I'm not really embarrassed, so it's okay. I was going to say that's just me every day. So. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like I, it's the kind of thing. I, oh, I pretend. Oh, yeah. I'm, uh, it's embarrassing if I'm just sitting in a place alone with earbuds and laughing. But eh. oh, then yeah, let's do the the last one. Here is uh, an old dilapidated house from the inside. The like windows are broken, half open, falling apart. Walls are crumbling. There's drywall all over the floor. But then here we have a red bike, um, very old school looking bike that does not look beat up. And so I feel like that's almost art. Oh, that is. That is art. Like I would, you know what? I would hang that picture on my wall. Right? I would. And you know, like that, that picture is on the wall of some hipster coffee shop somewhere where they like serve the iced coffee in mason jars. (laughs) <laughs> that is that is hanging somewhere. So thank you for joining us for this week's episode. If you enjoyed listening, please consider leaving us a five-star rating on iTunes. If you have comments or suggestions or hate mail or love letters, you can send those to us at podcast at a scienceenthusiast.com. You can also find our full podcast archive at a scienceenthusiast.com slash podcast and follow the podcast page on Facebook. Follow Natalie's page, Skeptical Parenting, and myself, Dan, as a science enthusiast. And also, if you enjoy the show, please consider checking out our Patreon page at patreon.com slash TSE podcast to get access to premium content as well as extended interviews and other other nuggets of goodness. We understand that not everybody can afford to financially contribute to the show, and that's totally okay. But if you could do so, just like James, Michael, Michael, Alice, and another Michael still, Joanna and Chris, we would be incredibly grateful. Natalie, hit us with a quote. Life is too good to waste on bad ideas. And that is from our guest tonight, Andrew Seidel. Short and sweet and um, perfect. To To the point, yeah. Yeah. Let's talk about who we have next week. Next week, we are going to have... David McAfee. Yeah. Are you, yeah. I think we have to say David G. McAfee. Oh, okay. Well, you, uh, that that is what it I says. I don't know. I'm, I'm not his, his dad. Program. I'm not his dad. I don't know. I, I don't know. I don't know, but I, I'm excited to talk to him about... Him. I'm excited to get, to get to the bottom of what he prefers to be identified as. 